Welcome to Stratfor's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Ryan Boll. Today, I'm speaking to Sim Tak, Stratfor's senior military analyst, about the military confrontation between Turkey and Russia in Idlib province in Syria. So, Sim, we've got a summit potentially between Erdogan and Putin in Moscow. Um, how does the military reality affect their stances in that negotiation and their willingness to accept a ceasefire? Well, so the, the main way that the military reality on the ground affects this negotiation um, is that we've seen a Turkish-supported counteroffensive uh, on the ground in Idlib, which has partially failed. Um, that is to say they've been able to initially push back the, the Syrian advance, um, but then the Syrian forces, aided by Russia, of course, have been able to, to stabilize that again. So in that situation, I, I think it makes sense for Erdogan to seek a ceasefire, um, even if that means accepting some of those those territorial losses after their counteroffensive and, and the initial Syrian offensive, as such a ceasefire would effectively allow the the Turkish supported rebels to dig in around Idlib to build up their defenses um, and of course temporarily stem the the refugee flow from this area that Turkey's been very worried about. Mm-hmm. Now on the, on the Russian side. A lot of that depends on the actual Russian and Syrian perception of their capabilities. Uh, So as I said, so far, they've been able to stabilize that front line. But if they don't see themselves carrying uh, a decisive offensive beyond this point, of course, they they might benefit from a ceasefire as well. If if they perceive their capabilities as as being able to resume the offensive, we might not uh, see Russia actually support that kind of a ceasefire. And one of those places we've been watching to see how this dynamic can be tested is that town Sarakib, which has gone back and forth between the two, showcasing what you've been talking about here. Can Can the Syrians continue to push uh, Turkish forces back, or can the Turkish forces, the Turkish-backed for- rebels, push the Syrians back? And that's that's one of our signposts that we're monitoring. Exactly, and the this very specific uh, axis of advance between the town of Sarakib and Idlib city itself is is probably one of the most heated uh, location or most contentious locations within this offensive. As, of course, any advance by Syrian forces there directly threatens the city of Idlib and and the Turkish-supported rebels will want to make sure that, of course, the Syrians are not given an opportunity at at taking the the city itself. Losing the city of Idlib would be a major defeat, even if it leads to a ceasefire after that. And, of course, with the Turks being part of the the NATO military alliance, so having relationships with European states, and the United States and European states aren't directly involved in these negotiations, at least not yet, is there any potential for the U.S. or NATO to be military involved in Idlib if a ceasefire doesn't take hold? So far, we've seen the NATO alliance be really reluctant in, in becoming directly involved uh, in, in fighting in Idlib, even though Turkey's been constantly requesting uh, different kinds of support. There's There are some limited signs of support to Turkey still on the table uh, in, in terms of a potential U.S. Patriot deployment or air deployments to Turkey um, to help protect Turkish territory from any potential Syrian or, or Russian attacks. Uh, but even the NATO members aren't really too keen on on making themselves a target there. And, and a presence on the Turkish side of the border would still have a very limited effect on what happens within Idlib. And so that leaves Turkey somewhat on its own, at least from a military standpoint, in Idlib. But but we have seen some of the uh, Turkish military maneuvers have been, have 
gave them some levels of success. Uh, for example, the Turkish drone strikes against a Russian-supplied Pantsir S-1 air defense system. Uh, what are we learning about the effectiveness of these systems for both sides? Yes, that's actually a very interesting case. Um, we've actually seen multiple Panzer S-1 uh, air defense systems being destroyed by, by Turkish airstrikes. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the concept of air defense systems being taken out by air attacks is a bit counterintuitive. But there's a lot of different factors to take into account here. For starters, uh, you know, these these systems are, are most likely manned by Syrian crews who might not be as proficient at using them uh, as Russian crews. So it, it could be more of a reflection on the uh, the Syrian ability to use these systems effectively than the, the actual technical feasibility of, of the, the Russian design, so to speak. In addition to that, it's also important to keep in mind that we're seeing these systems used in in, in isolated positions rather than a, a layered air defense setup. Um, in, in a traditional uh, air defense effort, you would see the, the Pantsir systems as essentially the last line of defense um, at a hard point um, with other systems like the the Buk systems or, or at an even higher level, the S-300 or S-400 systems kind of providing that that wider area defense. So with just, just looking at these attacks on the Panzer S-1 system, that doesn't really tell us much on, you know, the actual failure of the, of the Panzer, but it does really uh, emphasize the pressure that the Turkish drone campaign is is placing on the Syrian offensive, that's caused some some initial losses on the battlefield as as Turkey ramped up its offensive or or the support for the rebel offensive at least, and it looks like the Syrian forces and and their Russian supporters have been able to adjust for that at this point and have been able to stabilize those front lines again, but of course we'll have to see how how Turkey actually advances those efforts in the future. Uh, so speaking about the Turkish drone campaign, uh, what does that say about the country's indigenous arms development strategy? So for Turkey, this is a really important element in both the the development of its military power and it, its general you know, geopolitical posture that it's been trying to build up. Um, we're only talking about very limited elements of that, that military industrial development here in, in terms of drones, in a sense, perhaps even uh, electronic warfare developments, uh, artillery systems that are being very heavily used by by Turkish forces as well. But overall, this this is a priority issue for Erdogan, and and ambitions go way beyond what we're seeing now. In you know, with, with ongoing efforts to develop a Turkish uh, fighter aircraft and missile defenses, so we'll, we'll see Turkey advance that. And and it looks at this point, you know, at least when it comes to the capabilities of armed drones, artillery systems, that they're they're very much on point. And so, uh, and finally, if, if there is no ceasefire, uh, what are the potential military developments that we could see coming at us in the near future? So if they fail to reach a ceasefire in Moscow, the biggest thing that we can expect, of course, is a continuation of intense fighting, um, and specifically around that Idlib city to Sarakib axis that we've mentioned before. There, there could also be additional efforts by the Syrian forces to advance from the south into Idlib, um, either to to take the city of of Jizra Shugur or even to to advance over the the South Idlib plains to to actually increase that pressure on Idlib, so that it's not only uh, suffering from an offensive coming from the the direction of Sarakib, but open multiple fronts that can really 
cause a tough time for the rebels to try and defend that city. Well, thank you, Sim. If you would like to read more of Sim's analysis on this topic or military topics in general, visit stratfor.com slash subscribe. I'm Ryan Bull. Thank you for listening. <laughs>